Christians, of all people, should be the best prepared to talk about death. We know why we die. We know why death feels so wrong. We know that Jesus defeated death. And we know that there is life beyond death for those who trust in Jesus. And this is part of why we uh, love Easter so much. It's because Easter is about the, the message, the truth, that Jesus has conquered death. And yet, many of us are not as prepared to talk about death or to face death as we should be. We don't always, one of the reasons for that is we don't always get our information from the best places. And another reason for that is even when we get our information from the right place, from the Bible, we've not always gotten the whole picture. We've not always gotten the whole story. So, if, for example, right, you know that when a believer dies, their spirit goes immediately into the presence of Jesus, into the presence of God, um, that's true, right? And that's good, and that's a significant part of our hope. Paul even says that that's better than staying here. Right? It's better to depart and be with Christ, he says in Philippians 1. But if that's where your hope for life after death stops, you've only got part of the picture. It's a true part of the picture, but it's not the whole picture. Right? And, and you could even ask if the goal was for us to die and our spirit go to be with Jesus, then why did Jesus rise from the dead? Why didn't Jesus just die and his spirit go into the presence of the Father. Why the resurrection? Well, the reason he rose from the dead, one of the reasons he rose from the dead, is because our hope doesn't stop with our spirit going into the presence of God. Our hope goes extends to our bodies being raised from the dead, us sharing in Jesus' resurrection, so that we will live with him um, bodily forever. Right? Not just as disembodied spirits, that's a temporary part of God's plan, but as uh, fully embodied, immortal, resurrected human beings in the presence of God. So what we're going to do over the next several weeks, we're taking a, a break from our study of Romans and leading up to Easter, uh, we're going to spend six weeks talking about what the Bible says about our hope in the face of death. What does the Bible say that Jesus has accomplished? What does the Bible say that we can hope for, that we can expect? What is sort of the fuller picture of the good news that we celebrate at Easter? And so my goal in focusing on, all, on these things um, is, one, to equip you to talk about death, in a biblical way, right? because a lot of people don't know what to think about it. A lot of people don't think about it until it happens to somebody close to them, or it's about to happen to somebody close to them, and they don't know what to do, and they don't know how to respond, they don't know what to think, and they have all these confused ideas that they've received from culture and tradition and whatever, and they don't actually know what the Bible says, and you want to be ready to give that person true biblical 
hope and be able to speak to them with confidence about what the Bible says. And you also want to be equipped right, to face your own death with that hope, with those truths. Uh, we didn't, none of us like to talk about that, right? But we know it's going to happen. And um, like all things that are inevitable, you don't want to put off preparing for it until it's too late. You want to be equipped. You want to be ready. You want to know what to believe and what to do and how to respond. So uh, if we're going to celebrate the resurrection in all the fullness that God intends for us to, if we're going to have the full, robust hope that God wants us to have in the face of death and be able to share that with others, we need to get our minds around, on our hearts around, the big picture of what the Bible says about Death and what comes after. What God is preparing for us and what God has promised to do for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So, I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bible to Genesis 1. We're going to be in uh, more than one place this morning, but Genesis 1 is where we're going to start. And uh, while you're turning there, I just want to say a couple things about where this sermon series is coming from. Um... One is, uh, I, was, I had been preparing a long teaching series about what the Bible says about death and what happens after we die and the resurrection and, and so on. I mean, like weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, and weeks worth. And, uh, and then I had a conversation with Barbara recently, and uh, she encouraged me uh, to preach about this subject. Um, and so I took that long, long, long teaching series and squeezed it down into just a few weeks because Easter seemed like the perfect time to be talking about these things. Um, And so I'm grateful for that conversation and that encouragement from Barbara. And then another um, thing that this sermon series has come from is um, reading uh, some, some Bible teachers and scholars who have been have shaped my thinking about these things, have helped me see things in the Bible that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. Uh, one in particular is a guy named N.T. Wright, who I don't always agree with, but when he's right, he's brilliant and, and really helpful. Um, and so I'm standing on the shoulders of several people uh, with these things, and, and my hope is um, that you'll see that there's more in the Bible than you had seen before uh, about this subject. So that, that's, that's my hope. So we're going to look, uh, beginning at Genesis 1, uh, because to get the full story, you've got to start at the beginning and you've got to go all the way to the end. So that's what we're going to do this morning, is look at the beginning and the end of the story and what, this has, what the Bible has to say to us from the beginning to the end about uh, our hope, about our sin, about our problem, about what's wrong with the world, and about how God has promised to fix it, because it's hard to know uh, where you're going if you don't know where you're coming from. So we all know how Genesis begins. I'm just going to read the first couple of verses. Genesis 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, Again, we know the first verse of the Bible is one of the best known verses in all of Scripture, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But I just want to point out, you all know this, it seems simple and obvious, but it's significant. 
that in the beginning, God did not only create the heavens. God created the earth. And that was part of his good plan and his good design for humanity was he created the earth. And something you might not have noticed, unless somebody has pointed it out to you, I needed somebody to point it out to me. What you might not have noticed is the way the six days of creation tell us how God uh, prepared this place specifically for us to dwell in. So we usually read the creation account, the six days of creation, as sort of a sequence of events. Day one, day two, day three, all the way to day six in, in order. And that's good, but there's also a, there's a pattern to these days that we don't often notice. The first three days... God is preparing the heavens and the earth. And then in the second set of three days, God fills the heavens and the earth. So in, the, in day one, he separates the light from the darkness and separates day and night. And then in day four, which is matched with day one, day four is when God creates the sun and the moon and the stars to inhabit the day and the night and to give light during the day and the night. On day two, God separates the waters above from the waters below and he creates an expanse between those waters and he calls that expanse sky or heaven, depending on your translation. It means the same thing, right? The lower heaven or the sky, same thing. And then on day five, which is paired with day two, God creates all the sea creatures, the fish and the sharks and everything that dwells in the oceans and the waters and the seas. And God creates the birds that dwell in the heavens, in the sky. And then on day three, God creates, uh, he separates the dry land from the water and he fills the dry land with plants. And then on day six, which is paired with day three, on day six, he creates the animals and the people who live on the dry land and who eat the green plants. So the story of creation in Genesis 1 is telling us that God prepared, he created the heavens and the earth, and then he prepared the heavens and the earth to be inhabited by those creatures and by those created things that he designed to fill those places, whether it's the sky or the land or the sea. And he created the earth specifically as a place for men and women to dwell. He did not design the heavens as a place for us to dwell. It was not God's intention, it was not God's plan in the beginning for us to live in heaven and then something went wrong and we ended up cast down to the earth. No, He designed the earth as the place where we would live and when He finished, God said that it was very good. And then on the earth, he prepared a special place for us to live called the Garden of Eden, right? And we know that in that garden, the Bible says he planted two trees. Uh, verse seven, or excuse me, verse 9 of chapter 2 says that out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God planted in the middle of the garden these two special trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And uh, the tree of life, we're told later in in chapter 3, verse 22, that if Adam and Eve had been able to eat from the tree of life, they would have lived forever. They never would have died. 
Right, so after Adam and Eve have sinned, in, in uh, chapter 3, that's when in, in 3.22, God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Lest that happen, God removes Adam and Eve from the garden. He places a chair, the cherubim and a flaming sword to guard the entrance so that they can never return to the Garden of Eden. Because if they were allowed to live there, they would continue to live forever. So God created a perfect place for us to live on the earth, and He made it possible for us to live in this place forever. That was His intention. And He created that place for man to dwell and live forever as a place where He would dwell with them. Right? Remember what happened when Adam and Eve sinned in chapter 3, verse 7. They immediately realize that they're naked, they create clothes for themselves, and they seek to hide from God because, verse 8 says, they, uh, chapter 3, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They heard God coming to walk with them. And presumably, they recognized that sound because this was not the first time that God had come for a walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He was in the habit of fellowshipping with them, of being with them. They were in the habit of walking with him, it seems. And so the, the picture that we get in the beginning of the Bible, when everything is good and everything is just as God designed it, is a world that God has prepared for us to dwell in, a world where we can live forever, a world where he will dwell, dwell with us. And so he did not set things up for us to live in the heavens or for us to escape the earth and go live in heaven as if earth was a terrible place to be. That was not the way that God designed it in the beginning. God created the world as a good place for us to dwell in his presence and live forever. Now we know that some things went wrong. Right? We'll get to that part of the story in just a little bit. But before we do that, let's fast forward to the end of the story. So you can flip to Revelation 21. If you'd like, in Revelation 21 and 22, we learn the end of the story. And we learn not only how things started in the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, we learn how they're going to end, which is really a new beginning, in Revelation 21 and 22. And we find that there are some very significant similarities between the beginning and the ending. That the end actually ties up some things, wraps up some things, fixes some things uh, that were there in the beginning or that went wrong in the beginning. So, the last scene of the Bible begins in Revelation 21, verse 1. This is after Satan has been thrown into the lake of fire. This is after the final judgment this is the final scene. This is right after this is when the curtain's going to close, right on the story. And how does the end begin? Revelation 21:1 says, "Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more." So at the end, the first heaven, the first earth that God created, those have passed away, those have died. But there is a new heaven, a new earth. There's even some hint in the New Testament that this is sort of a resurrected or reborn heavens and earth. 
But anyway, either way, there's a new heaven and a new earth at the end. So, God has prepared us, like we saw in the beginning. God's prepared us to dwell on the earth. And even though there's a sense in which the current heavens and earth are going to pass away, they're going to die, we're not going to be left with a sort of you know, empty space or just a, a heaven up there somewhere where we're going to dwell. God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth for us to dwell on. Our uh, final place of of uh, inhabiting our, the final place that we're going to dwell, where we're going to end up at the end, is a new earth, a physical place where we are going to live. The, uh, John sees the the New Jerusalem, the holy city, which represents the church, the people of God, is adorned as a bride for her husband, and she comes down out of heaven from God. When you come down from heaven, where do you go? You go to the earth. So we're going to dwell on the earth, and in this new creation, this new heavens, new earth, we find the tree of life. In Revelation 22, in verse 2, as he's describing the, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, in the new creation, he says, Through the middle of the street of the city, um, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So in the middle of the new Jerusalem, the new city, in the new creation, is going to be the tree of life that we have been cut off from since Adam and Eve sinned. We're now going to be able to eat from the tree of life again and therefore live forever. And chapter 21 verse 3 says that in this new creation, this new heavens, this new earth, God is going to dwell with us. Revelation 21.3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So just like in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, where God prepared the earth for us to dwell on, gave us the tree of life so we could live forever, and, we're, and he walked with us and dwelt with us upon the earth, at the end... That's going to happen again. God is going to have a new earth prepared for us to dwell on where there will be the tree of life so that we can live forever and we will live in his presence. God will come to dwell with us. So the end of the story, in other words, the, the, our ultimate hope of where everything is going is not that we will die and get to go be, our spirit will get to be in the presence of Jesus. That is, a, that is part of the story. I'm going to give a whole sermon to that later. That, that is a real and true hope that we have confidence about from the scriptures. I'm not trying to diminish that. What I am trying to say is all over the place, the Bible says that is part of our hope, but there's an even greater hope that there's a new creation coming. And in that new creation, God will restore everything that went wrong in the original creation. And we will once again dwell on the earth in the presence of God forever the way God intended in the beginning. Our, dwelling, our spirit dwelling in God's presence when we die, that's just a, a temporary sort of waiting space for we wait for the return of Christ and the, the dawning of the new creation. It's good. Like I said, Paul says it's even better. It's better than our life here and now. 
But even better than that, the Bible says, will be the new creation, the new heavens, and the new earth. Now, let's go back to the beginning and look briefly at what went wrong and how God's going to fix it. Right? We know where we started. We know where we are going to end up. We started with the heavens and the earth being created as a good place for us to dwell in God's presence forever. We know we end up with a new creation that God's prepared for us to dwell with, uh, where God's prepared to dwell, uh, prepared us to dwell with Him forever. But why do we need a new creation? Why a new heavens and a new earth? Why do we need Jesus' resurrection? Why, do we, why is all of this necessary? It's because of all the things that went wrong. Now, here is another place where often we only focus on one part of the story. The Bible has a richer story than what we often pick up on or what we often emphasize. And that doesn't mean the parts that we do get right are wrong. It just means that there's more going on than we often notice. And if we want to get the full hope, the full encouragement that Scripture provides for us, we need to look at all the pieces that the Bible gives us. So, we know that the main thing that went wrong in the beginning was sin. God gave Adam and Eve one commandment in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. He said, you can eat from every tree in this garden that I have prepared for you. But, he said, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And when Adam and Eve sinned, it wasn't like they accidentally, you know, crossed some boundary line they didn't really know was there. When Adam and Eve sinned, it was an action of rebellion and treason. It was high-handed. It was saying to God, we know what you said. But we don't care what you said. We think we know better than you. The serpent has made us realize that you know, there might be a better way than what you have told us. They distrusted God. They rebelled against God. They pursued their own way. And that was the first sin. That's what brought chaos into everything. That God had made so good. So we know that sin is the problem. But with sin came death. And there are two parts to death. Have you ever wondered why if God said that when you eat of this fruit you're going to die. Adam and Eve didn't die right away. I mean it could could have just been that God was merciful. Right? They did die eventually. But they also died right then. Physically they wouldn't die for much longer, but spiritually they died immediately. So the Bible talks about both physical death and spiritual death. Both are consequences of sin. Spiritual death means being cut off from the presence of God, because God is life. Right? He's the source of our life. He himself is life. And you might be physically alive, but if you don't have a relationship with God, if you don't have fellowship with God, you don't have real life. So when Adam and Eve sinned and they hid from God and God removed them from the garden, which is the place where he had dwelt with us, that was because spiritually they had died. They were cut off from the presence of God, cut off from fellowship with God. And then also as a result of their sin, they died physically. Genesis chapter 5 recounts how not only Adam died, but everyone after Adam died. They lived, they had children, they had sons and daughters, and then they died, and then they died, and then they died, and then 
they died. Death reigned over humanity because of Adam and Eve's sin, both physical and spiritual death. This is why Ephesians 2, 1 says uh, to us that before we were saved, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were physically alive, but spiritually you were dead because of sin. So there's two kinds of death that we have to deal with, right? There's our sin that has to be dealt with. There's our spiritual death being cut off from God. There's our physical death being cut off from physical bodily life. And then there's a third part, or a fourth part, depending on how you want to count the death part. Another part is the curse. God curses the serpent, of course, in Genesis chapter 3, but he doesn't only curse the, only curse the serpent. He also says uh, to Adam in, in Genesis 3.17, he says, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust. And to dust you shall return. So not only do you have our sin against God that needs to be dealt with. Not only do you have our Separation from God and the end of our physical life that we call death that needs to be dealt with. You also have this curse on the creation. The creation that we were meant to rule over, that was meant to be fruitful, that was meant to be beautiful, that was meant to be a good and pleasing place for us to dwell, has now become a place of thorns and thistles, a place that treats us like its enemy, a place that rebels against us, a place that whenever we try to Work it, we have to break our back to get it to do what it's supposed to do. And that too is a part of the problem. So there's a threefold problem here in the beginning of the Bible. Sin and death and curse. All three of those problems need to be dealt with if we're going to get back to the way things God designed them to be in the beginning. In the Garden of Eden. Where we dwell on the earth in His presence in a good creation living forever and in fellowship with God. How are we going to get back to that when now we've got sin and death and the curse? Well, there's a threefold solution. God is not going to solve just one of those problems or even just two of those problems. He's going to solve all three of those problems. We know how the sin problem gets solved. We know that God sent His own Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to become a man to die on the cross and take our sin upon Himself to pay the penalty of death on our behalf so that our sins could be atoned for, so that we could be forgiven, so that all that we have done wrong would be taken care of, would be paid for through the death of Jesus on the cross. And we also know how God solved the problem of death, both spiritual death and physical death. Jesus not only died on the cross to pay for our sin, He rose from the dead on the third day to conquer death and hell and the grave. And because He conquered death through His resurrection, we now have been raised, if we trust in Christ, we have been raised now to spiritual life. Paul says in Romans 6, right, that we have, because Christ has been raised and we've been joined to Christ, we now have not only died with Him, we've been raised with Him. We have new life. 
Ephesians 2 says the same thing, that we have been made alive together with Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we've been made alive with Christ because of His resurrection. And we know that the problem of physical death has been solved by by Jesus' resurrection. Because the Bible says, just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so one day we too will be raised from the dead. When He comes back, the full resurrection harvest will come in. Jesus is the first fruits of the harvest, the first one to be raised from the dead. And when He returns, all who have trusted in Him, all who belong to Him, will be raised from the dead. And 1 Corinthians 15 says that when death is defeated and we are raised, we will be immortal. Our bodies will no longer be corruptible, perishable. We will have bodies like Jesus' body that will never die, that will never wear out, that will never get sick or get old or break or die. We will get to live forever. Our sin will be forgiven. Our life will be restored. We'll have fellowship with God. We'll be dwelling in resurrected bodies in God's presence. And the curse will be dealt with. In the new creation, in the new heavens, in the new earth, the curse, the thorns and thistles, the tornadoes and cancer and all the things that have come into the world as a result of sin, none of those will be there. The Bible says in Revelation 22.3 that uh, in the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation, it says no longer will there be anything accursed. No more curse upon the new creation. So our hope is not just that Jesus has died to forgive us of our sins, and when we die, then we'll get to go and be in His presence in heaven. That is part of the hope, and it is a central part of the hope. I don't want to diminish that at all, but what I want you to see is that it's, it's only part of it. There's, there are more layers to it. Jesus came not only to forgive our sin, but to also secure for us eternal bodily life. Jesus came not only to die for our sin, but to secure our eternal salvation in a new creation where we will dwell on an earth that is exactly like we know this one is supposed to be, where everything about this one that frustrates us and makes us want to, you know, grumble and complain and kick things and throw things, all of that will be gone. And we will dwell in a world that is exactly what God uh, meant for us to experience when He created the Garden of Eden, when He created the heavens and the earth in the first place. And He's not just going to leave us there to enjoy this paradise that He's created for us. He Himself is going to come and dwell with us in that place. We are going to have perfect fellowship with God forever in a perfect creation. Everything that was lost because of sin in the beginning, God is going to restore. And He does all of that through Jesus' death and resurrection. So that's the big picture, right? And when you see the big picture, you see death in all of its ugly reality. You see all that death has stolen from us. It's not just that our lives end, but we don't have the fellowship with God that we were created to have. Uh, It's not just that 
um, we have sinned against God, but that because of our sin, the creation itself has been turned against us. But we also see when we look at the big picture that death is not the end of the story. The curse is not permanent. There's a remedy not only for our sin, but for the experience of spiritual death, for the experience of physical death. There is resurrection coming. There is forgiveness promised. There is a new creation that is going to dawn one day where there will be not only no more sin, but also no more curse and no more death, no more separation from God. But we're resurrected people who have trusted in Jesus are going to live in an eternal paradise in the presence of God. That is the full hope that God wants us to have in the face of death. Let's praise.